Uh, grab your Bible and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 3, the first five verses. We've been walking through the book of Thessalonians for the last 792 days together. Actually, it's just been a few months, but it's been a long time in this series. And we've taken a, a break or a pause here and there for some special gatherings, but, but we're going to be back in that. And, and the series has been entitled, Staying the Course, and how Pastor Paul to the Thessalonican church, their church in Thessalonia, they were were needing some guidance of how to stay the course. And tonight we're looking at the guidance he gives to stay the course through conflict. A couple of weeks ago we looked at staying the course through weakness, but tonight we're looking at staying the course through conflict. Uh, John Maxwell in his book, Your Roadmap for Success, says that there's three uh, types of, or excuse me, two types of people, firefighters, the ones who stifle the fire of your dream, and fire lighters, those who ignite the dream that is in your heart. And he encourages you to get those around you who will ignite the passion that you have for your dream and to to limit your connection or deep connection with those who stifle the dream that God has put in your heart. And he tells this story that is interesting to me, at least. Uh, It's about a Canadian bird. I want to read that to you from this book. It's a a funny story that, int- uh, that introduces a point that I think can be helpful for us tonight as we look at Pastor Paul's words here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Maxwell writes, A Canadian bird decided that it was too much trouble to fly south for the winter. He said to himself, I can brave the winter. A lot of animals do it. It can't be that hard. So all the other birds flocked away and moved towards South America, and he stayed behind to wait out the winter. By the end of November, it was having serious weather conditions. He was having second thoughts, and he'd never been so cold. He couldn't find any food. Finally, he broke down and realized that if he didn't get out of there soon, he wasn't going to make it. So he started flying south all by himself. After a while, this bird was hit by the rain that was falling hard. Before he knew it, the water was turning to ice on his wings. He was now struggling, and he recognized that he wasn't going to fly much longer. He knew he was about to die, so he glided down and made his last landing, crashing to the ground in a barnyard. As he lay there, stunned, a cow came by, stepped over him, and dropped a plop on him. (laughs) Dr. Maxwell writes, He was totally disgusted. Here I am. He thought, I am freezing to death. I'm about to die. And on my last breath, then this happens. What an awful way to go. So then this bird held its breath and prepared himself to die. But after a couple of minutes, he discovered a miracle was happening. He was warming up. The ice on his wings was beginning to melt. His muscles were thawing out. His blood was flowing again. He realized that he was going to make it after all. He got so excited and happy that he began to sing his glorious song. And at that moment, the farmer's tomcat was lying in the hayloft of the barn. And he heard this bird singing. He couldn't believe it. He hadn't heard anything like it for months. And he said to himself, is that a bird? I thought they'd all gone south for the winter. He came out of the barn. Lo and behold, there was the bird. The cat crossed over to where this bird was, pulled him gently out of the cow plop, and cleaned him off and ate him. This is the story that Dr. Maxwell tells. His point in this story is, one, not everyone who drops a plop on you is an enemy. 
Not everyone who takes the plop off of you is really a friend. And, and if somebody drops a plop on you, he says, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. And, and while it's kind of an interesting story, I believe it opens our hearts to what Pastor Paul wants to talk about, not only to his first hearers, but to us tonight about conflict. Have you ever felt like that, bird? Some people that you consider to be your friends turn on you. Others who are your friends support you in ways that you never expected. Always, there will be conflict. Conflict that we need to work through. The all-important question is, how can I grow through this conflict? This is what came to mind, I believe, as to my heart, as Pastor Paul was teaching these truths in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. And as we're looking at staying the course of what God wants to teach us about staying the course through conflict, I want us to first look at some general observations of conflict, and then we'll walk through Pastor Paul's instructions. The first general observation is this. Conflict is inevitable. If you're taking notes, that's the first blank. Conflict is inevitable. Wonderful. It's behind me. Very good. The, the world that we live in is a sinful world. It's a corrupt place. The scars of Adam's fall are all around us everywhere we look. And this fallen world system stands in direct opposition to God's will and God's purpose. So for the believer, conflict is an inevitable part of life. When writing to the Ephesian church, Paul puts it this way, Ephesians 6.12. Tonight I'll be reading a number of our passages of scripture from the message paraphrase uh, because I, I think it may help us hear in fresh new words what have become familiar to us. And this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12, paraphrase in the message. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. Most of the conflicts that we experience in our lives are either a result of our own sinful bent or the sinful bent of someone around us. This inevitable conflict is very real. So the issue is not to try to remove ourselves from conflict, but to seek to resolve it and allow it to make us to be more like Christ. Norman Wright, a Christian counselor, observes five key thoughts in helping us move through conflict together. I want to quickly reference them. There's no blanks there for you because I want to move through quickly, but there is some help in how we can move through conflict. First, he writes that we are to listen carefully. Instead of demanding that you and I be heard, we need to listen first when we enter into this conflict. Also, it's important to, to have the appropriate timing to address the conflict. There's a right time and there is a time that is less productive. And then defining the problem at hand. What really is the conflict? Sometimes our, our, our person that we are at odds with, we aren't even communicating enough to even really know what the issue is. Listening carefully, looking for the appropriate time to address it. Defining the problem separating our ego from the problem and looking at what the real friction is and then identifying our responsibility. If we have sinned, we need to confess it. If we have hurt someone, we need to make it right to validate our part in the conflict. And finally, Norman Wright shares, commit to the changes in behavior that the Lord leads us to. Those are some quick help steps, but... While those can be helpful to us, I want us to see the real-life transition that Paul is leading his church in, and I think what it could mean for us. Rarely are these conflicts one-sided. There's always something that God can teach you and me 
in any type of conflict, even if you think it's their fault, they started it, they picked the fight, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any changes that he wants you to make in your life. Remember, the source for making conflict constructive in our life is Christ's power, not our own power. If I go at it and say, you know, I'm just going to going to grip my teeth and pull myself up by my bootstraps and try to turn over a new leaf and really try to be a positive person. I, I'm going to set my heart to be positive like Pastor Rex would and, and I'm just going to work real hard. Maybe we'd be better off to say, Lord, would you put your love in and through me? If you look at people you admire and how they can be positive in a situation, it's the Jesus in Pastor Rex that you see. It's not the Pastor Rex that you See, we see here that not only is this conflict inevitable, we see this conflict is necessary. God doesn't waste anything. In fact, a couple weeks ago when we looked at staying the course through weakness, he doesn't waste our weakness. And there's nothing like conflict to expose our weaknesses. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not. If not, just hang on until the next conflict comes. You will find out how weak you are or how weak the other person is in the moment of conflict. This conflict is necessary to highlight our dependency on the Lord. Listen to James chapter 1, 3 and 4 from the message. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you may become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. Not only can we try to avoid conflict, but when it comes to trying to get through conflict, we want to do it as quickly as we can. But we must continually remind ourselves that God's goal is not to resolve the conflict, to build comfort in our life, but it's to chisel away and build character. He wants to make us more like himself. I love what Howard Taylor observes. It doesn't matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies. Whether it comes between me and God or whether it presses me nearer to his heart. When you begin to see conflicts in this way, when they come up, you don't go, oh, great, here's another one. Oh. <laughs> My wife's gone, so I can tell a story on her tonight. She's in choir. Uh, we were on this bicycle trip across the state of Iowa, and she was working hard. She was tenacious, and she was probably in better shape than I was. But everybody comes to a moment on this 500-mile journey, 500 bike journey where you hit a wall. And I'm so thankful that Carrie and I didn't hit a wall at the same time, but uh, she hit the wall a day before me, and, and we were going up and down these hills. I always thought Iowa was flat. That's a lie. There's nothing flat, I guess in the middle, but on the edges, it is not flat. And there is these rolling hills up and down and up and down. And, and we would just come to the top of a hill and we were getting ready to coast down and you could see over the horizon that there was another hill coming. And through tears and a voice that was very frustrated, she said, oh, come on. She began to cry and I had enough wisdom to just ride behind my wife and say nothing and let her complain all the way up the next hill. Because the next day, I too hit the wall, and, and I had those moments. And, and when we see conflict come, sometimes when we see it on the horizon, we go, oh, are you serious? One more person saying something stupid in my life? One more piece of friction? We just got through this family squabble. We just dealt with this at work. The kids finally began to understand what I was saying. Lord, one more time. But when we begin to look at conflict the way that Taylor talks about, that this is what can help me be closer to the Lord, nearer to the Lord, then maybe we say, okay, Lord, 
could you use this as sandpaper to take that edge off of me? It's not something that comes natural to us, but it's something that's definitely a blessing for us. You see, it's necessary. The key to making conflict constructive in my life is trusting in Christ. It's not loving the punishment. It's not loving the tension. It's not saying, well, I just love to have conflict. No, I I guess there's some people who like that. That, That's a whole other topic to, to think through. But it's constructive conflict in our trusting in Jesus that makes the difference. When I make the choice to really trust Jesus, then conflict or pressure in my life will only press me closer to Him. With this background... In resolving conflicts, now I want us to look at the text at hand tonight, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. You read it in the translation you have. I want to read this paraphrase and allow it to come to life for you. From the message, Paul's words are paraphrased. One more thing, friends. Pray for us. Pray that the Master's word will simply take off and race through the country as a groundswell of response, just as it did among you. And pray that we'll be rescued from these scoundrels who are trying to do us in. I'm finding that not all believers are believers. But the Master never lets us down. He'll stick by you and protect you from evil. Verse 4 and 5. Because of the Master, we have great confidence in you. We know you're doing everything we told you and will continue to do it. May the Master take you by the hand and lead you along the path of God's love and Christ's endurance. We begin to see that we can grow stronger through conflict together, even in the church. This is what Paul is addressing. In these verses, Paul addresses both the responsibility of the shepherd and responsibility of the sheep, the leaders and those who are in the role of following. The first three verses, Paul uses the First person pronouns, we and us. In the verses 4 through 5, he shifts to you and your. When conflict arises, we need to see what is our role to play in this. And so let's first look, as Paul first talks about, the responsibilities of the shepherd in conflict. In verse 1, Paul admits his need for prayer. He requests there in in, in verse 1, pray for us. We don't have it all together. We're not totally on our own. Pray for us. We need prayer. We need the Lord's help. We get a little insight into how he needs them to pray in verse 2. Pray that we will be rescued from these scoundrels who are trying to do us in. Pray for us that, that we will stay close to Jesus in the midst of this opposition. When God calls you to be a prophet, to say the hard things, not everyone's going to be happy about it. As a result, someone will attack the messenger when they don't like the message. That's not only true for pastors, that's true for us as leaders. You are a carrier of a great commission. Whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, it doesn't change the fact that if you love Jesus, if he is Lord of your life, then you are a carrier of the great commission. And as you communicate the gospel of Jesus in the way he's wired you to do so, there'll be people who won't receive it. There'll be people who will reject it. Paul doesn't try to put on his game face. He doesn't try to pretend like he's superhuman. No. He is open. He is vulnerable. He is transparent. He's transparent with the people that he's called to lead. They respect a leader who takes the risk, first, to be vulnerable. I think Paul is is highlighting here through his own example that dealing through this conflict, he's vulnerable in his own needs. 
I've had times myself in, in ministry where I felt like I was under attack from the enemy or my own idiosyncrasies or maybe even those coming against. And as I confessed to the Lord and to my brothers and sisters around me being transparent, I found that what I thought maybe would disqualify me from having credibility with leaders actually did the opposite. As you're in the trenches and open up your heart and being transparent and being vulnerable, the Lord galvanizes our hearts together. I think insecure shepherds will never really be vulnerable. Vulnerability, it humanizes the conflict that sometimes we find ourselves in, and it disarms the defensiveness. So if you're a leader of your home, in our church, in our city, risk being vulnerable with the people you are called to lead. I think we also see that Paul is casting vision. That impacts this conflict. Notice the picture Paul paints in in verse 1 of their mission. The Master's word will simply take off and race through the country to a groundswell of response. Pray that this mission will take place. He gives a vivid word picture. Isn't that one that's enticing to your heart? Can't you just envision the gospel sweeping across the land like a flood? Vision is the ability to communicate a picture which people can identify with and creates this passion to see that come to pass. True leaders understand this, and when we're dealing with conflict, vision is an important thing. When Jesus wanted to challenge his band of fishermen to leave their jobs and follow him, he said, I will make you fishers of men. A simple word picture in a way they could understand, this is what I am calling you to. Can you see it? God has given us a clear mission and vision here at Grace Point. It's to make Christ-like disciples across the street, across town, and around the world, fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandments. Looking out the windshield just a few miles ahead of, of where the Lord is taking us, what does it look like as we are achieving that together? We see hundreds of connectional communities of Christ-like disciples, united in prayer, intentionally reaching their world for Christ, out of the fresh overflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We see that when we celebrate big together and we connect small together, celebrating God in spirit and truth and connecting people with God and one another through caring, learning, and serving, celebrating big and connecting small. It's the picture the Lord gives to us of of where you're taking us, keeping our eyes on what Jesus wants to do, helps lead us through conflict. I think the reason that many church conflicts arise is because Leaders have failed to cast the vision to keep it on Jesus. Those that are closest to me, I I often will say this phrase, if you ever see my picture on a billboard, first go rip it down and come smack me in the head. We don't need a movement or a gathering to be centered on one man or one woman, but could we center it on Jesus and, and casting the vision of what is most important, what is the main thing, will not only keep us inflated by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, but will keep us in step and allow conflict to be constructive instead of destructive. We also see not only this call to be vulnerable, this call to cast vision, we see Paul flat out being honest. Oh, I love this part. The Apostle Paul was never one to tiptoe through the tithers to just try to tickle their ears. He called it straight, said it just like it was. And in verse 2, he pulls no punches when he says, the second part of verse 2, I'm finding that not all, quote, believers are Believers. I could preach an entire series on this one phrase. I think it's a commentary on the Church of Jesus Christ, at least in Western culture today. The point is that many people 
may not like what their leader or the shepherd or the gospel has to say. And they may not like it, but if their hearts are hungry for the Lord, they will respect the one who is telling them what they need to know, not just what they want to hear. You fill in the commentary of everything we've heard on the news. No one follows a leader whose goal is to appease every person in the church. But neither will people follow a leader who refuses to be transparent with their people. This is where honesty and vulnerability, I believe, go hand in hand. People respect a leader, follow a leader who is honest, tells them the truth in love, but is vulnerable and enters into the trenches with them. Fourth, finally, Paul gives this picture of a leader leading through conflict, of being hopeful. Oh, this is so important. Sometimes we get this idea, I'm just going to be honest, I'm just going to say the truth, I may speak it in love, but I'm just going to give him some hellfire and brimstone. But even in the harshest reality check, gut check, truth-giving moment, the Lord always brings an opportunity for redemption, for restoration, for hope. The gospel is actually good news. In Christ, there is always hope. I don't care how bad things look. Because of Jesus Christ, there is always hope in any conflict, in any situation, with any person. The sheep need a shepherd. People need a leader who consistently reminds them of the claim of who Jesus is and the hope that he can bring in our life. Verse 3, Paul does this. But the master never lets us down. He'll stick by you and protect you from evil, the paraphrase puts it this way. Without this positive message of hope, people won't stay long to walk through the conflict together. This is more than just putting on some grease to make things move, but it is looking at the hope in Jesus. I think Paul begins to address the responsibilities of the shepherd first, because when the shepherd's heart is right, it helps everything else. When the shepherd is willing to lay down their life for the sheep, the sheep have the best chance of responding and following. But let's look at the responsibilities of the sheep in this passage. We're going to look at verse 4, the second part of this. We see this responsibility to follow authority. Paul affirms these young Thessalonian believers. They learned a critical lesson. As we read in on one side of the phone conversation, one side of this letter, he says, you're doing everything we told you to do and you're continuing to do it. You're following our instruction. You're following our leadership. What gave Paul this kind of confidence that that they were doing this? He saw the pattern in how they responded. They learned to follow authority. They learned that it's not the knights of the round table and everybody chooses what they like best. They learned that God would appoint and bring a leader who sometimes would lead them in things that were uncomfortable, but if they would follow, they would be blessed. That's hard for us in our Western American mindset. We are a country that is so proud of individuals. And I'm a proud American. But we need to also look at some of our own idiosyncrasies. We don't like to admit that we are dependent upon anyone or accountable to anyone. After all, we celebrate Independence Day from the moment that a child first ties their own shoes or they can do it on their own. At Trunk or Treat, I tried to help a four-year-old take the putter and put it into the cup. As I thought I was going to help them. She said, I, I can do it. I can do it on my own. 
And there is some value in beginning to have some accountability and responsibility. But we so overvalue our own individuality at times that we miss this blessing of being under authority and called to follow and be accountable to someone or something. We lead the world in church splits. Sometimes we mask them as church starts, but sometimes they're just flat out church splits. Many churches, not all, but many churches who face a split, it's not always over doctrine. Often the reason that is either the pastor refuses to submit to their authority in the church, or a staff member or a lay leader refuses to submit to the authority of the pastor, and they quickly justify their own rebellion, and just because they think that church should be done their way, it's not really a good reason to resist the authority that God has set up. The Bible only gives one real clear basis for resisting delegated authority, and that's if a leader is requiring you to do something unethical or clearly against the truth of God's word. You show me a church that's learned to work through conflict together, and I will show you a people who God has taught how to embrace and walk through authority. But that's not the only piece to follow authority. Responsibility of the sheep is to live God's love. Paul puts it this way in the first part of verse 5. May the master take you by the hand and lead you along the path of God's love. It's God's love. It lubricates the gears of the church and reduces the friction in conflict. Try this. The next time that you really get hacked off at a person or a situation, let's just be honest, a person in your life that maybe comes about from a situation. Try taking 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, read it through three or four times as slowly as you can, and watch what the Lord will try to do with your heart. I can almost guarantee by the third time that you read this, the love of God will begin to melt your heart and give you a different perspective. It won't make the situation necessarily go away. But the world around us is so encapsulated with this good news story of Jesus because it is a love story. The message of the cross of Jesus Christ is a message of unconditional love. It's a story of a Savior while he was being nailed to the cross who died for crimes that he did not commit. Saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is otherworldly stuff. Is anyone thankful that God has brought forgiveness of your sins? If so, we should forgive those around us the way he has forgiven us. We should love those around us the way he's loved us. Now, we're professional Christians in this room. This is Sunday night church at Grace Point. We have been in the trenches together and we have been taught and we have taught these phrases and these thoughts so often that we should love others the way that Jesus loves us and we should forgive others. But when we get into the nitty gritty of these things, we can begin to see, Lord, I need your help in this conflict. Because you love me so with reckless abandon. If I'm honest, it doesn't take a whole lot for me to just get all hacked off. Oh, I may give you two or three or four chances. But on the fifth time, I'm going to call you to attention. But the Lord says, Brady, I have a deep love and compassion for you. Not to sweep things under the rug, but to call it out. To help you be more like me. If we begin to love like that, living God's love, this is how we move through conflict. And finally, staying the course. The clock is out up there. That's a dangerous thing for me. Oh, beautiful. We are so on time. You have no idea how on time we are. This is amazing. 6.52. We couldn't be at a better place. 
the third and final thing that Paul challenges the, the sheep, those following. No matter what leadership role you have in your home, in your, your life at work or here at church, you are following someone. All of us have an upline somewhere. And we are called to stay the course. That's the message all throughout Paul's letter. Look at the second half of verse 5. Paul says, May the Master take you by the hand and lead you along the path, the path of Christ's endurance. If we're going to grow through conflict, we've got to work it out together. We've got to, to stay by the stuff the Lord gives to us. We need to stay the course and not give up too soon. One of the tragedies I've seen in working with people over the years is that people often neglect learning to do this. They live their life in a shallow relational box. Instead of working through conflict and relational barriers, they get to a point with certain people and they just cut them off and they end that relationship and they move on to someone else or something else. Initially, this works great because the person who is friction, who is sand under the saddle for them, is no longer in their life. But in time, the conflict will arise. It's just with a different face and with a different setting. We begin to see... That God is calling us to move out of this short-term, shallow relationships that we can have at home, that we can have at work, we can even have at church around us. And, and move into staying the course and walking through conflict together. Well, let's go back to Maxwell, Pastor Maxwell, Dr. Maxwell, whatever term we want to share with him. That silly story. Those who drop a plop on you are not always against you. Those who quickly remove the tough thing are not always for you. And could we allow God to use conflict to help us be better leaders, to help us be better followers, and ultimately to be more like Jesus? If, if you haven't fallen in love with your scriptures lately, with the Bible lately, you've got to like take some time this week and read it at your own pace. This is like good stuff. Paul is dealing with real life situations in the church. It was first for them, but it's also for us. And I think this is tremendous help for us. So as we close tonight, I want you to think about a conflict that's not resolved yet in your life, in your world. I'm not going to have you tell me or tell anybody else. It shouldn't take much thought to think of something. It may be a conflict that is, I mean, boiling over. As soon as I say it, you know exactly what it is. And it makes that sound, like Paul did. But, but maybe it's not at the boiling over stage. It's just at this ongoing nagging. Just as the tide comes in over and over. And it's not that big of a deal, but it's wearing on you. Maybe it's a conflict not directly involving you, but somebody close to you. If you pay attention at all, there's all kinds of conflict in our community, in our world around us. Could we ask the Lord, God, maybe would you help me not just want to get out of this conflict, but would you help me get out of it that you, what you want me to get? Lord, would you help me not just want to get out of this conflict, but would you help me want to get 
what you want in my life out of this situation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends tonight who, again, over and over, have given such great attention to your word. Not just tonight, but today. And Lord, I'm so thankful that your ruach, your breath, your spirit is not in short supply. We don't have to ration it out. But you long to saturate us in the truth of your written word. Jesus, in the truth of you, the living word. And so, Lord, would you take your scriptures tonight and would you drive it deep in our heart? Not just to learn another trivial pursuit answer to a Bible quiz question that we could impress people around us with our knowledge. But, Lord, would you really... Help us look at the conflict that came to our mind. Maybe it's a conflict internally with ourself and you. Lord, maybe you highlighted a conflict with a family member, a loved one. Lord, if we're honest... We expect conflict to be from the world around us, people who don't know you, but sometimes what hurts the most is when there's conflict with another brother or sister who, who loves you and, and our hearts hurt. Jesus, would you help us to get our eyes on not where the source of the conflict is, but the end result, is it driving us away from you or driving us closer to you? And just like Mary this morning, Lord, would you, would you empower us to have devotion despite the hardship? Lord, may we, may we not be conflict junkies that just love to get up in each other's face, but Lord, may we be hungry for you to chisel away and give us your character. Help us be like you, Jesus. So, Lord, I ask right now with this situation that's in our mind, this person that's in our mind, we give it to you and ask that you would help us to be vulnerable. Would you help us, Jesus, to be transparent, to be honest? Would you help us, Lord, to walk in your love? Would you help us, Jesus, not to give up and stay the course and allow you to do the tough work in our life? Thank you, Jesus, for loving me before I ever came close to caring about you. Would you help us learn to love people around us the same way? In your name I pray. Amen.